Tony and the Beatles by Philip K. Dick, Part Two. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Pasudetti woman hurried off before he could ask her. Tony was troubled and uncertain. More doubts filled him. After a moment he headed slowly into the lane that took him toward the residential section of the city, past the stores and factories, to the place where his friends lived. The group of Pas Udetti children eyed him silently as he approached. They had been playing in the shade of an immense hingelo, whose ancient branches drooped and swayed with the air currents pumped through the city. Now they sat unmoving. "'I didn't expect you today,' the Prith said in an expressionless voice. Tony halted awkwardly, and his E.E.P. did the same. "'How are things?' he murmured. "'Fine. I got a ride part way. Fine. Tony squatted down in the shade. None of the Pa's children stirred. They were small, not as large as Terran children. Their shells had not hardened and had not turned dark and opaque like horn. It gave them a soft, unformed appearance, but at the same time it lightened their load. They moved more easily than their elders. They could hop and skip around still. But they were not skipping right now. "'What's the matter?' Tony demanded. "'What's wrong with everybody?' No one answered. "'Where's the model?' he asked. "'Have you fellows been working on it?' After a moment Lyre nodded slightly. Tony felt dull anger rise up inside him. "'Say something! What's the matter? What are you all mad about?' "'Mad?' the Prith echoed. "'We're not mad.' Tony scratched aimlessly in the dust. He knew what it was, the war again, the battle going on near Orion. His anger burst up wildly. Forget the war! Everything was fine yesterday before the battle. Sure, Lyre said, it was fine. Tony caught the edge of his voice. It happened a hundred years ago. It's not my fault. Sure, Beprith said. This is my home, isn't it? Haven't I got as much right here as anybody else? I was born here." "'Sure,' Lyre said, tonelessly. Tony appealed to them helplessly. "'Do you have to act this way? You didn't act this way yesterday. I was here yesterday. All of us were here yesterday. What's happened since yesterday?' "'The battle,' Beprith said. "'What difference does that make? Why does that change everything?' There's always war. There have been battles all the time, as long as I can remember. What's different about this?" Beprith broke apart a clump of dirt with his strong claws. After a moment he tossed it away and got slowly to his feet. "'Well,' he said thoughtfully, "'according to our audio relay, it looks as if our fleet is going to win this time.' Yes, Tony agreed, not understanding. My father says we didn't build up adequate supply bases. We'll probably have to fall back to— And then the impact hit him. You mean, for the first time in a hundred years? Yes, Lyre said, also getting up. The others got up, too. They moved away from Tony toward the nearby house. We're winning. The Terran flank was turned half an hour ago. Your right wing has folded completely." Tony was stunned. "'And it matters. It matters to all of you.' "'Matters!' 
But Prith halted, suddenly blazing out in fury. Sure it matters! For the first time in a century? The first time in our lives we're beating you. We have you on the run, you— he choked out the word, almost spat it out. You white grubs! They disappeared into the house. Tony sat gazing stupidly down at the ground, his hands still moving aimlessly. He had heard the word before, seen it scrawled on walls and in the dust near the settlement. White grubs! The pause term of derision for Terrans. Because of their softness, their whiteness, lack of hard shells, pulpy, doughy skin, but they had never dared say it out loud before. To an Earthman's face? Beside him his EEP stirred restlessly. Its intricate radio mechanism sensed the hostile atmosphere. Automatic relays were sliding into place, circuits were opening and closing. It's all right, Tony murmured, getting slowly up. Maybe we'd better go back. He moved unsteadily toward the ramp, completely shaken. The EEP walked calmly ahead, its metal face blank and confident, feeling nothing, saying nothing. Tony's thoughts were a wild turmoil. He shook his head, but the crazy spinning kept up. He couldn't make his mind slow down, lock in place. Wait a minute, a voice said. Prith's voice from the open doorway, cold and withdrawn, almost unfamiliar. What do you want? Beprith came toward him, claws behind his back in the formal pas udeti posture used between total strangers. You shouldn't have come here today. I know, Tony said. Beprith got out a bit of tis stalk and began to roll it into a tube. He pretended to concentrate on it. Look, he said, you said you have a right here, but you don't. I, Tony murmured, do you understand why not? You said it isn't your fault. I guess not. But it's not my fault either. Maybe it's nobody's fault. I've known you a long time. Five years, Terran. But Prith twisted the stalk up and tossed it away. Yesterday we played together. We worked on the spaceport. But we can't play today. My family said to tell you not to come here any more. He hesitated and did not look Tony in the face. I was going to tell you anyhow before they said anything. Oh, Tony said. Everything that's happened today, the battle, our fleet's stand, we didn't know, we didn't dare hope, you see. A century of running. First this system, then the Rigel system, all the planets. Then the other Orion stars. We fought here and there, scattered fights. Those that got away joined up. We supplied the base at Orion. You people didn't know. But there was no hope. At least nobody thought there was. He was silent a moment. Funny, he said. What happens when your back's to the wall and there isn't any further place to go? Then you have to fight. If our supply bases, Tony began thickly, but Beprith cut him off savagely. Your supply bases. Don't you understand? We're beating you. Now you'll have to get out. All you white grubs. Out of our system. Tony's EEP moved forward ominously. Beprith saw it. He bent down, snatched up a rock, 
and hurled it straight at the EEP. The rock clanged off the metal hull and bounced harmlessly away. Baprith snatched up another rock. Lyre and the others came quickly out of the house. An adult pause loomed up behind them. Everything was happening too fast. More rocks crashed against the EEP. One struck Tony on the arm. Get out! Bapris screamed. Don't come back. This is our planet. His claws snatched at Tony. We'll tear you to pieces if you— Tony smashed him in the chest. The soft shell gave like rubber, and the paws stumbled back. He wobbled and fell over, gasping and screeching. Beetle! Tony breathed hoarsely. Suddenly he was terrified. A crowd of Pasudeti was forming rapidly. They surged on all sides, hostile faces, dark and angry, a rising thunder of rage. More stones showered. Some struck the EEP, others fell around Tony, near his boots. One whizzed past his face. Quickly he slid his helmet in place. He was scared. He knew his EEP's e-signal had already gone out, but it would be minutes before a ship could come. Besides, there were other Earthmen in the city to be taken care of. There were Earthmen all over the planet, in all the cities, on all the twenty-three Beetlejuice planets, on the fourteen Rigel planets, on the other Orion planets. "'We have to get out of here,' he muttered to the EEP. "'Do something!' A stone hit him on the helmet. The plastic cracked, air leaked out, and then the auto-seal filmed over. More stones were falling. The paws swarmed close, a yelling, seething mass of black-sheathed creatures. He could smell them, the acrid body odor of insects, hear their claws snap, feel their weight. The EEP threw its heat beam on. The beam shifted in a wide band toward the crowd of Pas Udeti. Crude hand weapons appeared. A clatter of bullets burst around Tony. They were firing at the EEP. He was dimly aware of the metal body beside him. A shuddering crash. The EEP was toppled over. The crowd poured over it. The metal hull was lost from sight. Like a demented animal, the crowd tore at the struggling EEP. A few of them smashed in its head. Others tore off struts and shiny arm sections. The EEP ceased struggling. The crowd moved away, panting and clutching jagged remains. They saw Tony. As the first line of them reached for him, the protective envelope high above them shattered. A Terran scout ship thundered down, heat beams screaming. The crowd scattered in confusion, some firing, some throwing stones, others leaping for safety. Tony picked himself up and made his way unsteadily toward the spot where the scout was landing. "'I'm sorry,' Joe Rossi said gently. He touched his son on the shoulder. "'I shouldn't have let you go down there today. I should have known.' Tony sat hunched over in the big plastic easy chair. He rocked back and forth, face pale with shock. The scout ship which had rescued him had immediately headed back toward Carnet. There were other Earthmen to bring out, besides this first load. The boy said nothing. His mind was blank. He still heard the roar of the crowd, felt its hate, a century of pent-up fury and resentment. 
The memory drove out everything else. It was all around him, even now. And the sight of the floundering EEP, the metallic ripping sound as its arms and legs were torn off and carried away. His mother dabbed at his cuts and scratches with antiseptic. Joe Rossi shakily lit a cigarette and said, If your EEP hadn't been along, they'd have killed you. Beetles, he shuddered. I never should have let you go down there. All this time, they might have done it any time, any day. Knifed you, cut you open with their filthy goddamn claws. Below the settlement, the reddish-yellow sunlight glinted on gun barrels. Already dull booms echoed against the crumbling hills. The defense ring was going into action. Black shapes darted and scurried up the side of the slope. Black patches moved out from Cornet toward the Terran settlement, across the dividing line the Confederation surveyors had set up a century ago. Cornet was a bubbling pot of activity. The whole city rumbled with feverish excitement. Tony raised his head. They... they turned our flank. Yeah. Joe Rossi stubbed out his cigarette. They sure did. That was at one o'clock. At two they drove a wedge right through the center of our line, split the fleet in half, broke it up, sent it running, picked us off one by one as we fell back. Christ, they're like maniacs. Now that they've got the scent, the taste of our blood. But it's getting better, Leah fluttered. Our main fleet units are beginning to appear. We'll get them, Joe muttered. It'll take a while. But by God, we'll wipe them out, every last one of them. If it takes a thousand years, we'll follow every last ship down. We'll get them all. His voice rose to a frenzy. Beetles! Goddamn insects! When I think of them trying to hurt my kid with their filthy black claws... If you were younger, you'd be in the line, Leah said. It's not your fault you're too old. The heart strain's too great. You did your job. They can't let an older person take chances. It's not your fault. Joe clenched his fists. I feel so futile. If there was only something I could do. The fleet will take care of them, Leah said soothingly. You said so yourself. They'll hunt every one of them down. Destroy them all. There's nothing to worry about. Joe sagged miserably. It's no use. Let's cut it out. Let's stop kidding ourselves. Oh, what do you mean? Face it. We're not going to win. Not this time. We went too far. Our time's come. There was silence. Tony sat up a little. When did you know? I've known a long time. I found out today. I didn't understand at first. This is stolen ground. I was born here, but it's stolen ground. Yes, it's stolen. It doesn't belong to us. We're here because we're stronger. But now we're not stronger. We're being beaten. They know Terrans can be licked like anybody else. Joe Rossi's face was gray and flabby. We took their planets away from them. Now they're taking them back. It'll be a while, of course. We'll retreat slowly. It'll be another five centuries going back. There are a lot of systems between here and Sol. 
Tony shook his head, still uncomprehending. Even Lyre and Bepreth, all of them, waiting for their time to come? For us to lose and go away again, where we came from? Joe Rossi paced back and forth. Yeah, we'll be retreating from now on, giving ground instead of taking it. It'll be like this today, losing fights, draws, stalemates, and worse. He raised his feverish eyes toward the ceiling of the little metal housing unit, face wild with passion and misery. But by God, we'll give them a run for their money. All the way back, every inch. End of Part 2 of Tony and the Beatles by Philip K. Dick These stories recorded by Phil Chenevere October 2012 in Baton Rouge, Louisiana.